Congratulations, everybody. We have made it to Friday once again. It's the end of the week, and we have been doing a series of episodes with Simon Esler talking about fifth generation warfare. You heard him on Monday. You heard him on Wednesday. Hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving yesterday. And now we're going to wrap this all up with gratitude for Simon being our guest. And we're going to talk about two areas that we have not addressed yet. It's about public schooling, both in Canada and the United States, and whether there is a neo-Marxist agenda. Looking to see what he sees in Canada and then what he feels is going on in the United States based upon all the different individuals that he's spoken with, as well as I want to get into how he has managed to stay in Canada, despite the fact I know it goes against everything that he stands for. And uh, then we'll wrap up with some of the movies that he's working on and some of the content that you can find. So sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into. You're listening to American Bolden with Greg Bolden here on the America Out Loud Network. America. You don't know what they do. You don't know what they sacrifice. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. Welcome, bold Americans, to another episode of American Boldened. We've been speaking with Simon Esler this week, and today concludes our series on fifth-generation warfare. Before we conclude that conversation, I want to remind everybody, go over to the America Out Loud network at americaoutloud.news, and you can also download the America Out Loud talk radio network, which is 24-7 all the time, 365 days out of the year, you can find Putting America First. That's available on all of your favorite app stores, on your favorite devices, as well as on your laptops and PCs. So join us there. Download America Out Loud Talk Radio, where you can hear podcasts like myself, as well as all those wonderful radio shows. Where we left off on Wednesday, we were talking about how do, does one opt out of fifth-generation warfare? Is it even possible? We talked about the digital domain versus the physical domain. And then I wanted to compare the United States with Canada, which is where we continue our conversation with Simon now, talking about the public school system. Here it is. So here in America, our public school systems take on a lot of heat, but I can tell you, I don't know what the perception is from Canada of, of our public schools, but I find that much of it's kind of overblown out of proportion. It's not to say that there aren't the outliers that are there that are pushing ideologies, but as a public school teacher, I'm in the thick of it and I don't see it overwhelming and pervasive. As a matter of fact, there's a lot more conservatives than people realize. They're just afraid to say anything because they don't want to be shouted down. In Canada, uh, I'm curious, are you seeing the exact same uh, kind of thought policing of, uh, I was just looking at a book. I, I made a video yesterday. I haven't posted it yet because quite honestly, I, I said to my friend, Steve, I was like, I don't want to be known as the bye-bye binary guy who went viral for reading this book and pointing out the blatant hypocrisy in the book. Um, but are you seeing that same agenda in Canada that we've got to teach very young children about sexual identity, sexual orientation, that it's almost an obsessiveness in, in society. There's the collective again is trying to get that. Is that in Canada as well, or is that just a United States thing? 
It's actually, in some ways, I would say it's more progressed. It's more severe in Canada. Um, we recently had the 1 million March for Children um, that occurred across Canada. And I went and I, I attended this protest. And um, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about what is going on in the schools and how this is playing out. So you have a curriculum called SOGI123, which is Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity. Now, overtly, the roots of this curriculum were actually designed by a convicted pedophile. Um, he is the one that developed this. And so uh, the, the roots of this curriculum are quite, they're quite rotten. Um, the One Million March for Children was really parents from across Canada standing up saying, we don't want this in our classrooms. We don't want gender ideology in our classrooms. We don't want radical sex, uh, sexual education that is teaching um, sexuality to very young children. But then once they get to be teens, it's teaching overtly pornographic materials. Um, you know, there was a school out in Western Canada where Planned Parenthood brought in these pornographic cards that were talking about felching and all sorts of like really disgusting sex acts that they were um, handing out to the children there. Um, it's definitely very far progressed here in Canada. And um, it's similar to what you're saying, because here's what happened to me. After I did my live coverage of the One Million March for Children, I actually had a teacher from a Toronto district school board reach out to me and really break down for me what it's like in the system and how difficult it is to push back against this. And it, it really helped me understand the plight of teachers that don't come from this radical leftist perspective, but are nonetheless in a system that is being overtaken by what are um, neo-Marxist ideologies. And the neo-Marxist aspect of it, you know, has to do with um, teaching children that we live in a world of cultural determinism, and that everything is determined by culture, and that you know there's essentially a cultural hegemony, there's a cultural hierarchy that's oppressing everyone, and the talk of this cultural hierarchy are people with white, heteronormative, cis-normative male identities, and that the primary site of all cultural power is in identities, and they're teaching children that that is really the only way to view the world. And so then children are given this idea that oppressed sexualities, oppressed genders, oppressed races all need to rise up against this form of cultural oppression. That is rampant in the schools. And teachers who want to push back against this are struggling to do so and are definitely afraid of being fired and losing their job. Um, and from what I understand, um, this varies in degrees of severity according to where a school might be. So the teacher that reached out to me, she's in the downtown core of Toronto. So this is a school that's very woke, very progressive, very left wing to the extent that her struggle is not just with teachers in her school that are more woke and indoctrinated according to this ideology, but actually with parents who come and put pressure on her and other teachers to make the curriculum more woke and to you know, teach more about Harvey Milk and you're not doing enough for LGBTQ representation in the classroom. Whereas in rural areas, the pressure is less intense. You more have parents who are fighting against this. You, you have more teachers who um, are finding ways to use the vague nature of the curricula to their advantage so that they don't have to forcefully indoctrinate these children. Um, so, you know, that varies in degrees. So where the school is and also how radical a, a given teacher is, there's a, a video that went viral recently of a teacher here in Ontario 
who said, yes, I am your worst nightmare if you're against any of this. I am teaching Marxism in the classroom. I am teaching socialism. I am radically teaching all forms of you know gender ideology, and I don't care, and I will continue to. And that to, teacher so. should be fired, right? They should be. There is yep. a freaking curriculum for a reason that we're supposed to follow. There's a syllabus that we're supposed to give out the families. And if you can't get along with that program, you should not have a job. Here in the United States, we're seeing bills start to come out. And these bills, I'm really wondering <laughs> if we're thinking about uh, the ramifications of them. We've already seen in our hospital systems across the country, the children's hospitals now have put in these bills that if you have a child who is 12 years old or older, that the parent no longer has rights to find out what the doctor's appointment was about. They can only get the treatment plan as far as like, okay, we gave antibiotics because they have bronchitis. But if your child is to say, Hey, you know what? I feel, I feel like I might be gay, or I may not feel like that. I am a boy. I feel like a girl. If it's a boy, vice versa. And the hospitals have to keep that in silence because of gender affirming care. And so there's these bills now that they want to make it illegal. They want to make it discriminatory. If as somebody's going through their gender affirming care, somebody dead names them. They want to make that a uh, anti-discrimination. And so there's an act in Colorado right now uh, with a bill that was put there. Matter of fact, I think there's three bills that are on the house floor around gender affirming care. This is highly concerning to me because, uh, when gender fluidity becomes a thing, how many people are going to lose their job by using the wrong pronoun one day? And then a month later when a kid goes, okay, I, I've completely, I'm in a different spot now. Are we going to go back and rehire that teacher that was fired two years earlier when that child was identifying differently? I mean, this is getting ridiculous as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I've gone really deep into the research on this one. So I put out a, a, a feature like documentary called cut daughters of the West. Um, that people can check out. And, uh, you know, I, I really went deep into the demoralization of our culture in a very, in very broad terms and how the current gender craze that's occurring in children and that is um, occurring legally, um, you know, people, people have to understand that the demoralization of our culture that I describe in my film Cut, it started much earlier than people realize. And that's one of the ways that they've been able to build upon this is that, um, you know, it's primarily exploding in girls. Okay. So it's teenage girls who are the ones who are uh, getting the most gender transitions. They're the ones who are mostly caught up in gender affirming care. So it has risen um, mostly in teenage girls with no previous forms of gender dysphoria. But before all of this was happening, and even alongside the gender craze, there's been a rise in teenage girls getting breast augmentations. There's been a rise in teenage girls getting what are called labiaplasties, um, which is a form of cosmetic genital surgery to try to make their genitalia look more like, you know, what they see on porn, for example. Um, so this, this broader form of cultural demoralization is the foundation upon which they can now make these radical new legal propositions that are, you know, this idea of the, the rights of the child superseding the right of the parent. Um, this functions along the same lines as what I was talking about earlier with this neo-Marxist thought, where the idea is that um, 
people are being entrained into this idea that you have to look at everything in terms of oppression and power and oppression and power. We can see them doing this with the child as the new oppressed being. And this is one of the, the directions they're taking this, that this neo-Marxist uh, mechanism, it's sort of like a plug and play mechanism where they take, you know, they'll go and they'll take, you know, uh, CRT will plug in, you know, black people and say, you know, this is the new oppressed person and you have to manipulate all of our social structures according to this. And then they switch it and they say, no, it's gay and lesbian people. And they plug that in and then they radically change our society and they create a kind of civil rights, you know, revolution. And now that we see the same thing with trans people, they're going, they're trying to do the same thing with children. And the idea is that children are oppressed um, by things like the concept of childhood innocence. And I have seen radical papers from left-wing theorists talking about the child-adult binary, about how this needs to be deconstructed. Um, they talk about the idea that childhood innocence is in and of itself a social construct that is often wielded by the right to remove the rights of children and that they use the concept of childhood innocence as a political weapon and all they're actually doing is taking away the sovereignty of children as um, political beings in their own right. This is the direction in which they're taking this. And of course, we also, many of us have seen now that the, one of the next people they're going to plug into this neo-Marxist ideology is the pedophile who we're being told we need to call minor attracted persons. And the game with that is going to be about how oppressed the pedophile is and about the fact, um, you know, what they claim is the fact that the pedophile is a, a, a sexual orientation that someone has at birth and that there are biological markers, just like there are biological markers of homosexuality that people can't control they're born with. This is the whole system that they're using here. And um, I think this is one of the major reasons they're trying to create this narrative of children's rights that they use to upend everything. This film that you're working on uh, that came out cut, you also have this website here uh, that I put up at the bottom of the screen for those that are watching online, daughtersofthewestfilm.com. Uh, you have uh, your courses and classes that you've put together. You have Free Thought TV, Free Thought Shop. You have the cut film up there where people can watch that on demand uh, to be able to uh, to support you as well in the work. There's a section there. Um, and people can also follow you on Twitter at uh, Simon Esler, E-S-L-E-R. And I'll get that put up here before the end today as we're talking to you as well. Simon, what what's your team look like? Are you doing all this on your own? Um, do, do you have uh, uh, people behind you to help get these films out? Because the quality looks great. And this, this is what I did for a living for a long period of time. Uh, now I teach it in a classroom, but you know, even looking at your camera here today, I can tell like, you know, you're shooting almost log. You got like, almost looks like a Sony color profile to me. Are you using a Sony ca camera? Uh, it's a Lumix G7. G7. Ah, I should have went with it. Panasonic. <laughs> Darn it. Yeah, but I, I knew it was either the Panasonic or the Sony, but I went Sony. I shouldn't have sold myself out there, Chris. I could have <laughs> could have really impressed him with my camera knowledge. Uh, but yes, I, I mean, so what's your team look like? Wait, who's helping you put all this together? Or are you a madman that is <laughs> putting this all by himself on your own back? I'm mostly a madman. I have to admit, I'm uh, I'm doing probably more than I should be doing by myself. Now I've started to try to move away from that madness. 
um, I will admit. So, um, you know, Amanda, um, you know, while she's doing a lot of the, the unschooling and the homeschooling with my kids, she also has been uh, crucial in helping me build my website. She's been on the back end helping me build that out, help me turn it into a video on demand platform. Uh, so that part, I've been so blessed to have her support with. Um, as far as cut goes, I, I produced that myself, so I wrote it, I, I, I researched, I edited, uh, I narrated. That's you know my own creation. I had some support in getting it marketed, so collaborating with Mom Army and Dad Army um, mm -hmm. has been a really big part of my journey. And the team over at Mom Army was absolutely devoted to getting cut to the world. They helped me um, set up a screening in Arizona where we did a world premiere and have just been really passionate about getting my work into the world. So they definitely helped me on the marketing end of those things. But, um, you know, I've been um, I took a leap into doing a lot of this by myself after having worked with streaming platforms. So I worked with um, it was first Edge of Wonder, which has now become Rise TV. Um, and so I produced a huge library of content on Rise TV. And so that was actually where I got started as a, as a filmmaker and as a content creator. I've got a series called Worlds Within there. And I've also got uh, a couple comedy specials. I've got a 60-minute comedy special and a sci-fi sketch comedy series over there. That was really where I got to sink my teeth into, you know, becoming a professional content creator. And then I also ended up collaborating with a platform called Dauntless Dialogue, um, which is where I initially produced my uh, six-part docuseries, Superorganism. And that is a six-part docuseries on the war on the family, the occulted war on the family, um, in comparison to the idea of the nuclear family as a superorganism to cultivate human wisdom and to cast it into the future through legacy. Um, and that's actually available on demand on my website as well. So uh, after working with those streaming platforms for years and sort of honing my skills, I decided, you know what? I'm going to try and go it on my own and cut uh, Daughters of the West was my first jump into producing things on my own. That's awesome. I, I love success stories like this, Chris, seeing that people are able to get so much done on their own and, and have an impact. And you certainly are, Simon. Uh, Chris, what, what's your thoughts here? I, I've been I feel like I've been asking all the questions for the last 40 minutes. Jump in. No way. No way. No, I think this is all fantastic. We need more people like Simon out mm -hmm. there to pick us up by the, by our own bootstraps, tell us how to do it. And also bring greater awareness to a lot of topics that not a lot of people would wish to approach. I mean, you've brought up the, uh, the pedophile angle, the child trafficking angle. Those are all very, very disturbing topics, but it's really how the world works. I just found out today, oddly enough, that one of Joan of Arc's really, really, influential generals was uh was hanged and burned for murdering children left and right <laughs> so i didn't know that one i couldn't even tell you the name but um so we need more people like you out there to bring this kind of knowledge to the fore especially if it's done professionally unlike me <laughs> so, so 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 chris i want to bring up you know we need people like simon simon i, I had a, a viral moment my own viral moment back in July, I broke a story and in 48 hours, I had 9.5 million people uh, that were liking the story, sharing out the story. And then like that, it was gone 48 hours of fame. And then it literally dried up and disappeared. The biggest story in the news cycle around the 4th of July 
And all of a sudden I was like completely deboosted. I was completely just, I, I could tell, like I had reporters from the Washington post telling me I want the message you and Twitter's kicking me out. So I think you're being monitored. I'm like, what the hell am I being monitored for? It's an innocuous story about AI and artificial intelligence and fake people. Like <laughs> I just happened to point this out and I've seen my growth at like 7,000 and like, I'll go up 20, I'll lose 30. Then I'll go up 50. I'll lose 30. And it's so gradual at this point. It's laughable because I can look at my statistics on the podcast side and go, Oh God, I got plenty of listeners. And I talk about on the show, Hey, come follow me on here. But yet I can't get the growth. And just recently people are actually telling me I go to hit the follow button and it won't allow me to. Now, Simon, you're out there in a much larger way than I am creating video content and excellent video content. I'm a hack compared to you. And so my point here is this, why is it that on these social media networks like X and elsewhere, you don't have a large following, but yet you're getting tens of thousands of views on your videos. What is it about what's going on in the tech world that's keeping the people that are trying to give good information to society like us in this room and the podcast that you've been going on and it's keeping them down so they cannot actually be seen by more people. Do you, do you feel that that's accurate or am I blowing oh, yeah. that out of proportion? No, hundred percent. So the way this actually unfolded for me was that, you know, um, around 2017, 2018, I had uh, a think tank that I was building on Facebook. And this think tank was, it was founded upon challenging official narratives using research. And we were very organized and, you know, we had a whole hashtag system and we were all about, you know, getting the evidence to challenge official narratives. And this think tank got up to, I think it was 17,000 people. Um, and of course, eventually with Facebook getting more and more corrupt, uh, it got shut down and I got kicked off Facebook and I, I could not get back on there even with VPNs. I tried so many ways and eventually I sort of walked away from that. But it was at the same time that I'd been invited on to um, Edge of Wonder to produce content uh, for them. And so I figured, you know what, instead of struggling against this aggressive censorship, I'm going to take some time to hone my craft I'm not going to worry so much about the shadow banning that I'm experiencing on Instagram and Twitter. I'm just going to get better at what I do. And so I spent six years um, really trying to refine my offerings so that if I was going to come back into the social media space, I was going to come back with content that was harder hitting, more powerful, where I just knew what I was doing. Um, and so... I've been able to do that successfully to an extent. I think mostly on Instagram, I've been able to start building back up. But then again, with the amount that I produce and what I produce, I really don't have the following that I think organically one would think. And I think this occurs in two different ways. We've seen the Twitter files. We've seen that there is actual overt attempts. There are operations coming from government entities to actually suppress people. Then you also have the fact that these social media platforms were initially developed as weapons to begin with. They were developed as forms of surveillance. Um, you have the advancement of AI allowing their algorithms to become more efficient at suppressing people. And then on top of that, you have ideological subversion occurring within the workplace culture of these institutions. So people that are working at Facebook and at Instagram, we saw this with Twitter 
Um, you know, we saw even 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 as there has been changes to Twitter that have reduced some of the forms of censorship, we still saw people very far left people who were still working there, who were still secretly trying to enact certain forms of politicized censorship. So we have to look at the way that the culture has infiltrated some of these people so that in any given instance, you being suppressed on social media, it could be a combination of those different things. It could be a literal person who's ideologically captured actually performing that. It could be an AI-based algorithm that's very good at suppressing. And it could also just be specific actual warfare operations where a literal agent from an actual intelligence agency is making specific requests. To me, those are all the layers, but um, we're looking at networks attacking networks. You know, We have to form mm -hmm. our own networks. And so to me, I just keep building my bonds, keep trying to build as many strong relationships as I can, both on and offline, keep trying to build my network so that um, as my network grows, my influence will grow naturally because I'm connecting authentically with people who believe in what I'm doing. And I just, I've stayed committed to that path and I'm not going to stop. <laughs> well, well, you have two new friends here that are committed to uh, being on the journey with you. I know that for a fact, but, but we need to take a quick break here. Uh, to get a word in from our sponsors at the America Out Loud Network. And then, Simon, when we come back, we're going to wrap up with you. It's been a great conversation here, wrapping up part three here on this lovely Friday, November 24th, everybody. All right, make sure you're going over to americaoutloud.news where you can check out all of the sponsors and help support the network and our shows by supporting the companies that are doing great work like healthy cell, or you have the H O C L Genesis Fogger and so many other great quality products that you guys can order. All of that goes back to helping support the network. All right. We'll be right back. Everybody you're listening to America emboldened with Greg Bolden here on the America at loud network. Change in the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Out loud. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. 
one final thought before we get into kind of the wrap. And this is this. Uh, Chris, what is it the, the lady told you after your interview that happened when she tried to like your content? What, what, what did you share? What was the words? She said she was ghosted. Now, to me, that means a certain, certain action. But eventually she fleshed out that uh, she said if she liked any of my content, any of my postings about my podcasts, she was immediately kicked out of Twitter or X and she wasn't allowed to get back in for 72 hours. So she actually had to go on to Truth and find me there and start to talk to me through that avenue. So, I mean, me, I'm, I'm a nobody. Yeah. And all of a sudden I got... <laughs> yeah, I mean... I- you know, I, I found, uh, it's funny because I found Chris because of the same person who sent me you, Simon. And so Chris has actually become my co-host every Friday on the network. Um, and we've become really good friends over the last year. Uh, but it was because of that network of my good friends. And actually during this show, the guy who sent me your video, he is, uh, listening to this entire thing. And at times he was actually typing like Yuri. And then all of a sudden you talked about it. And I was like, man, I wish that he was on the show with you because you guys would have a great conversation too. But that's kind of how this all works there. But what I wanted to ask you, Simon, have you ever heard of anybody who's tried to access your material that's been locked out of their account? Because this is what the Washington Post shared with me when they tried to message me, they were getting kicked out. Has this happened with people that have tried to contact you that you know of? Um, people have reached out to me telling me that they can't search me on Instagram, that no matter how much how much of my name they type in, I don't come up. Now, this was interesting because um, when this first happened to me, it was a friend of mine who's actually quite far on the left uh, side of politics, um, who just happened to be an old friend of mine. And we were already connected on Instagram. And so she was shocked because we were already both following each other. And she literally couldn't search me and had to go back uh, through, I think, a friend's account or something to find me and click through so that she could get the message to me and state, I don't know what's going on, but you are being aggressively censored. And it was shocking for her because she was coming from a left-wing perspective. And she was horrified that just because I have views that are, you know, pushing official narratives or are more on a right you know, wing side of things that I was being so scarily uh, censored. So I've had a, a lot of people come and approach me about that. And, um, and frankly, on Twitter, I, I still experience drastic shadow banning. Um, I can barely get any engagement on Twitter. And uh, I do have a theory about that, though, because I came across information once that stated that um, if you tied your TikTok account to Twitter, it gave TikTok the ability to suppress your Twitter um, and so I've, I've always wondered, even if you ditch TikTok after that, apparently. Um, so I've theorized about that conspiracy a certain Ooh. amount. I have no idea. Um, but definitely the censorship is wild. It's real. It's very, very real. And another example I'll state really quick is that um, when I was collaborating with Mom Army to create um, rallies against Balenciaga. So when Balenciaga put out that ad campaign that literally had satanic pedophilia, you know, they had one ad that was children as BDSM teddy bears. And then Mm -hmm. people were pulling up other ads where they had changed the spelling of Balenciaga to have two A's. So it was ball, which is a literal demon of child sacrifice. So they had overt satanic pedophilia in their ads. We created a rally in 25 cities across uh, the U S and Canada 
And we were aggressively censored for this on Instagram. Instagram took away my ability to create collaborative posts. They stripped uh, features from the mom army account and the dad army account. And this is all just for organizing a rally to be against Balenciaga promoting pedophilia. <laughs> wow. Uh, my, my final questions for you here. Why are you still in Canada? And I ask you that because Viva Fry, I, I was on Viva's show months ago and I've kept in touch with him. He's actually helped me kind of get some stuff set up uh, here and give me a little advice along the way. Great guy. Super nice guy. But Viva knew to get out of Canada. Uh, he's down in Florida now. Have you thought about relocating and what's keeping you there? It's definitely come up. We have discussed it um, numerous times. I think while things are obviously quite extreme, right? So I'm in Toronto, uh, pretty pretty progressive place <laughs> in those ways. Mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, we have built a really beautiful homeschool network for our children. We have a very rich network uh, of homeschoolers and unschoolers that they're connected to. Um, so for us, you know, there's the established relationship with our children and their network. We have our extended family. Our children have very re rich relationship with the grandparents that they see, uh, you know, very regularly. Um, so there's those elements of our existing network. And, you know, as someone who's big into dominating my physical domain, I take those relationships and that network very seriously. That's something that I would want to be able to uh, replace in a very foundational way if we made that move. Um, and then there's other practical things. Um, like, for example, my, uh, my son, my oldest son, he actually has type 1 diabetes. And so I have to admit that the Canadian healthcare completely uh, takes care of that. And if we are to move, if we choose to do that one day, then we will have to take on the entire expense of all of his care. And that will be a whole different way of organizing our lives and caring for him. Um, so there's there's been a lot of factors that have come up for us that make it, um, yeah, I don't know. It's a tricky choice. I'm not against it. I'm still open to it. But I also have a great deal of faith that... Um, if there is a big change in my life coming uh, in that way, there's certain forms of meaning that make that path very clear. And so I'm very open to that, watching for opportunities and for the means of doing that. Um, but uh, I'm not um, I'm not one to to go into a fight or flight state and to escape. And in fact, I would say that one of the the final reasons I'm here is that I really feel I have a purpose here that I have. Um, my purpose has deepened by being here, by actually being in the presence of the enemy so overtly. You know, it's like it's one thing to go and study neo-Marxists and to read all this material and like to read James Lindsay and to be like, wow, the neo-Marxist revolution is scary. But it's another thing to go to a protest led by active neo-Marxists yeah. holding upside Karl Marx and to meet them in person and to talk to them and to get into their aura and to sense them truly. That's that empiricism. And so some of that has been very informative to me. So for now, we're here. Um, but I have an openness to, you know, life perhaps moving us. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that, that makes sense as to why you would stay. You're established. Your family is rooted. The health thing all makes sense. Um, certainly you don't have to open a book to read about. You open your front door and you're already inside it. Um <laughs> Here in the United States, uh, we are a little bit more insulated, although uh, the opening of my show, it's Michael Bednarik, who was a favorite, uh, very famous libertarian. He ran for president back in 2004. Um, 
And he actually said on my show, he said, you know, you're voting for socialism and you're getting what you're voting for. People are voting for socialism at this point in time. Um, and that's kind of what I was saying earlier with what's going on in Israel and Palestine. You have socialists that have an agenda here at the same time of destroying the fabric of democracy and the Republic here in America. I don't know what that looks like in Canada, but my final question, and then we'll promote everything that you're doing. Is it even worthwhile turning on social media and looking at anything that's coming out of Israel and Palestine, or is it all propaganda? That's a great question. Um, I think that there are ways of navigating the cognitive battle space that are worthwhile, but you have to be prepared. And actually, I'll get into this after, but I did just release a free course called Navigating the Cognitive Battle Space, and it's focused on this. And it was very much inspired by watching people struggle with the Israel-Palestine uh, conflict. We have to recognize that anytime we enter social media, we are entering a battlefield. You have to have that situational awareness, which means mapping out the battlefield and recognizing um, the ways in which you might be threatened or influenced. And what I spoke about earlier in terms of the hemisphere entrenchment that we have in the West and that we're very entrenched in the left hemisphere, this is really, really rooted in certainty. That's one of the major pitfalls here is that we want to be certain and we want to be... Um, certain to the point that we avoid all forms of doubt, all forms of uncertainty. This is very dangerous because doubt is a very important form of cognition. We need to be in phases of doubt to be able to properly cognize what's going on around us, to establish forms of trust with our own discernment. If you are not spending any time in doubt, how are you developing a relationship with your own discernment? So entering the space surrounding Israel and Palestine, what I've seen is people desperate for certainty in a fog of war that doesn't really enable that. And I think we need to get much more comfortable with being in spaces of doubt and uncertainty. And this conflict really represents that because there's a lot of history, there's a lot of layers. And if you can learn to practice cognizing multiple different contradictory narratives without attaching or entrenching yourself in either of those narratives, then I think there is a very useful opportunity in entering the, the digital domain and looking at the different narratives coming out of this Israel-Palestine conflict and using it as um, an opportunity to study this war. You know, I've been holding a place of uncertainty. I've been relatively critical of, of, of both sides looking at this. And, um, you know, I've had moments where I've had emotionally triggered people on the Israel side direct messaging me saying, I can't believe you'd say this. I'm going to unfollow you. And at the exact same time, literally simultaneously, had someone on the Palestine side messaging me being like, I can't believe you'd say this. I'm about to unfollow you. So I've watched it. I've watched those emotional forms of manipulation play out on both sides. And I really think that there is a way of cognizing what is ongoing if you enter this correctly. And if you're an embodied person who has a strong connection to your physical domain, um, there, there are, there's lots we can learn from it, I believe. 
Great. Thank you, uh, Simon. So let's get into it. You have daughtersofthewestfilm.com, and that seems to be the main page where everybody can access your work and kind of navigate over to these other sections. So I'm going to put this up on the screen real quick for everybody, um, and we can kind of go through and talk about all the different things that you're you're offering here. This is the Battlefield of Insight and Understanding you were just talking about. Go to daughtersofthewestfilm.com. You have Operation Courses Plus Class. And that looks like it's a webinar. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah, so what's happening is uh, right now you can get my free uh, navigating the cognitive battle space email course. So that's a good introductory uh, course into a lot of the research that I'm talking about tonight. And that's leading up to pressure from pressure to potential masterclass, which is a masterclass I'm doing on December 17th. That's going to be uh, a full webinar that I'm going to be doing live. And I'm going to be going through decades of research into this occulted war and fifth generation warfare and you know a lot of the embodiment principles and practices that I've found, um, giving people tools to navigate the war in the family, ways of um, creating authentic rites of passage for your children, which is another big piece of this that I think is missing that um, children need. And that ties to my workbook, Legacy Keepers, which is a workbook I designed for parents to um, study their children from the lens of the hero's journey archetype and to use the hero's journey. And so if you join my email list, um, then you'll be able to connect with all of that. I'm going to be releasing some information on the Legacy Keepers Workshop, which will be another one that's upcoming where I'm going to walk people through the Legacy Keepers Workbook, that hero's journey archetype, how you can use it to develop rites of passage for your children. Um, and yeah, you can sign up. You can um, get early bird prices for my masterclass in December right now. Um, that'll be going up about two weeks uh, before that class goes out. Um, and then, yeah, you can also check out all of my content. So I have Cut Daughters of the West. And as I said earlier, I have my, if you go to Free Thought TV, I have my Super Organism docuseries, which is this six-part docuseries, Exploring the War on the Family um, and if you get cut or super organism, you'll get to see for free my film vague rules that I collaborated on with Adam Riva. So I wrote vague rules. He edited it. And that's another, um, film that you'll get, or you can get, as you see there, my family defender bundle. That is all three works. So cut super organism and vague rules, uh, that you can purchase, uh, as a package, because really, I've been talking about all these things for, for a long time now. Uh, the infiltration of communist warfare into the West, the war on the family, uh, the occulted nature of an enemy that is relatively satanic in their orientation. Um, all of this has been something I've been unpacking in all these different films for a long time. So there's lots that people can learn. And as people have probably come to understand, if you've listened to this interview, I'm all about depth. I really do like to go very deep into things and and um, pull people into the depths and have them come out of those depths with some practical tools that help people be of service to humanity at such an important time in our story. And you also have a tab at the very bottom, donate to free thought media as well. People can yes. click on that and they can support your work and make a donation straight through there. Uh, and I would say that you're doing some very important work. So I'm going to tell my audience go ahead and make that donation. Uh, you can hear that this is somebody who's truly fighting for people's liberty and rights. And also, uh, Chris, what do you call that? What's he being of a society? You know, you love this phrase, Chris, go for it. 
Oh, he's being a custodian of society. Yes, he is. So, Simon, we are going to give you the official award for the custodian of society of the month. It's going to you, Simon Esler. It's the first time we've ever given this award. I don't know what you'll win, but we'll come up with something. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, absolutely. But I mean, seriously, you're, you're a custodian of society, and uh, we all could be a little bit more custodians uh, in, in what we're doing. Uh, Simon, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, this was very, really gracious for you to come on with the audience, with Chris and I, and to to share your wisdom and your free thinking of what you've learned. Uh, certainly, none of us claim to to have all the answers, but to kind of go through this conversation, it's almost like philosophy, right? We we philosophize through the uh, the ether tonight. And I think that we're coming out on the other side, just maybe just a little bit more enlightened. Uh, you know, that's the the John Locke, maybe we're coming back to uh, the beginning. The beginning is the end and the end is the beginning. So, Simon, on behalf of my American Boldened audience, which we call Bold Americans, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. I had a great time chatting with you guys. Uh, we had a great time with you. All right, everybody, we hope that we honored your time well. That concludes our three-part series with Simon Esler. He was an excellent guest. I'm looking forward to bringing him back on in the future. Uh, I learned so much speaking with him, and I hope that you did as well. I have an ask of you. Uh, you've probably heard me in the past couple shows. I need your support. I need your support to help continue to book great guests, bring you quality content throughout each and every day of the week, both online, on social media, as well as on the America Out Loud Network. If you would consider going over to Buy Me a Coffee at buymeacoffee.com backslash Bald America, your support helps bring these shows directly to you. So I appreciate that in advance, and I have nothing but gratitude and love for all that have made that generous donation already. And those that are considering, I say thank you. All right, Bold Americans, I'm going to wrap it up here. I'll be back on Monday with more great content. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. You've been listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden here on the America Out Loud Network. Be bold, America.